You're listening to The Enoughness Revolution, a powerful conversation on what it takes to become enough and stay enough as we strive toward our potential. I'm your host, Enoughness Coach and Women's Leadership Mentor, Megan Hale. Join me every Monday and Thursday as I talk to some of the top voices on what it takes to live true, live brave, and become our biggest champion along the way. It's time to revolutionize the way you live, love, work, and dream. This is the Enoughness Revolution. Hello, powerhouse leaders. You are in for a treat today because I'm going to be sharing a very powerful conversation with our next guest, Barbara Stanny. So the first thing that drew me to Barbara was her book, Sacred Success, which we're going to be talking about in today's episode. It's the perfect blend of practicality and spirituality with money mixed in. And when I started learning more about Barbara's story, I knew that I had to have her on the podcast because she has such a phenomenal message of what it means to step into your power and also what it means to really step into your purpose. And as you listen to her story today and her own journey, I really want you to pay attention to how she's followed the curiosity, how she's taken that next step that has led to a new book after a new book, (laughs) and and a deeper realization of how she can really step up and serve the world. So I'm so excited for you to listen to our conversation. So if you don't know Barbara, she's the leading authority on women and wealth. She is the daughter of the R and H&R block. And when she was growing up, she really relied on her father and then her husband to manage money. But little did she know that she would soon be taking financial matters into her own hands after a devastating financial crisis rocked her world in which she owed the IRS over a million dollars for her ex's illegal deals. So she knew she had to get smart about money, and she did. She took her skills as a prior journalist and started interviewing financially savvy women, leading to her first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money. She then turned her focus on how to become financially successful herself by interviewing women who made $100,000 or more, leading to her book, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, Surprising Strategies to Up Your Earnings and Change Your Life. And she's gone on to write Overcoming Under Earning, A Five-Step Plan to a Richer Life, and the book that initially got my attention, Sacred Success, A Course in Financial Miracles, plus two others that you can find on her website. Her new mission is to make millions, help millions, and give millions by empowering other women to take charge of their finances and take charge of their lives through her books, her life-changing retreats, and private coaching. So Barbara's actually leading one of her sacred success re, uh, retreats in Baltimore, Maryland, June 2nd through 5th. I'm going to include a link to that in the show notes so you can go and check it out, especially because we're going to be talking a lot about this process today. So she's going to be leading a small, intimate group of women on a quest that's both a practical process and a spiritual practice, merging higher incomes with a higher calling, pursuing your soul's purpose while being richly rewarded. So you can find more details in the show notes about all of her books, as well as her retreats and her private coaching. And I really highly recommend you connect with her because she leads a free call once a month on Monday, the first Monday of the month. And it talks all about money and really encourages women to step up into their financial power, their financial education, and really take control of this area of their life. So without further ado, let's join Barbara and I in our fabulous conversation. Here we go. Welcome, 
welcome back to the Enoughness Revolution, everyone. I am so excited to have my guest, Barbara Stanny, here with me. Barbara, thank you so much for blending your expertise to all of my listeners, and thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Of course. So I always like to give my guests an opportunity to introduce themselves to all of the listeners. So would you mind telling my listeners who you are and what you do? So what I do is not – what I do is I – my, my passion is to empower women financially. Yes. Uh, and I guess you, my, my first love is writing. So I've mm -hmm. written six books on the subject. <laughs> uh, I also was trained as a psychotherapist, so I am a financial coach for therapists. Mm -hmm. So I love working one-on-one -on -one with clients. I love writing, and I love teaching. And that's what I do, how to help women make more money, and manage it wisely. Really, the money part is just a metaphor. Yes. But what I'm really doing is I'm helping women step up to the plate and into their power. Mm -hmm. so they can live the fullest life possible and make a difference in the world because the world desperately needs powerful women. Yes. Oh. I love that. I'm a retired psychotherapist as well, and I did not know that about you, so we have that in common. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, yes. So I want to really highlight uh, the book Sacred Success because that's the thing that really kind of drew me to you. Um, I love the way that you've incorporated your own spiritual experiences into this book, tied it to money, tied it to stepping up into your power as women. And I know that you had a very sacred journey yourself to even getting to this place where this idea was born. So would you tell a, a little bit about that experience for you? I'm going to back up and just tell a little bit about my story. Please. Uh, because I'm not what you'd expect to be a financial expert. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in a wealthy family. My father mm -hmm. was the R of H&R Block. Yes. And the only advice he ever gave me about money was don't worry, which I thought was great advice. So I didn't worry. And I married a man who was a stockbroker. Mm -hmm. What I realized very early in our marriage is he was a compulsive gambler. Yeah. And the insane part is not only did I stay with him for 15 years, but I continued to let him manage all the money. Mm -hmm. And he continued to deplete my inheritance. And so by the time we divorced, 15 years later, I decided money is not my thing. I do not want to deal with money. Well, I have this theory that if you don't deal with money, your money will deal with you. Mm -hmm. And I got taxes for over a million dollars for back taxes he didn't pay, for illegal deals he got us in. And my husband, my ex, had left the country. I did not have a million dollars, not even close to it. And my father wouldn't lend me the money. Mm. And I had three daughters. One was just a baby, and I was not going to raise those girls on the street. And that's when I knew I had to get smart. Yeah. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I really believe that when you make a commitment, like a down-to-your-toes, no-back-door commitment, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And I was a journalist writing for the San Francisco Business Times. And I got hired for a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. And those interviews changed my life. I not only got smart enough to manage my own money, which I've been doing quite well, thank you, but I wrote my first book, Prince Charming's Incoming, How Women Get Smart About Money. And suddenly I had this whole new career. 
But yes. I couldn't make money. Now, I was traveling around the country. You can ask my girls. I was never home. But I couldn't make it. So I started interviewing women who made six figures or more. Mm -hmm. And not only did that turn out to be my next book, Secrets of Six Figure Women, but I made six figures before I even finished writing the book. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> so, then I, so then I wanted to see if I could teach others what I was learning. So while I was still writing six, Secrets of Six Figure Women, I was holding Overcoming Under Earning classes, and which became my third book. I interviewed everyone who went through my Overcoming Under Earning workshops, and that turned into my third book, Overcoming Under Earning. Yeah. And I've written a couple of other books, How to Find a Financial Advisor You Trust, and uh, break, Breaking Through Getting Past the Stuck Point. And then I, I remember it was in, oh gosh, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it was a long while ago, maybe 2007, maybe it was about 10 years ago. I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, I don't know how to make six figures now. And I've been doing it. I want to make millions, help millions, give millions. And that was my new goal. Because I knew how I was going to do it. I was going to interview women who made millions and that was going to be my next book. <laughs> and three years later, I had no book. Mm. I was nowhere near making millions. In fact, I was having the worst year, well, the worst year period ever. And so my coach at the time said, Barbara, you are too into doing. You need time for just being. And I knew she was right. So I took a retreat, a four-day retreat. And it was during that four days that I not only downloaded this started downloading this whole new body of work which is called sacred success but i went home after that retreat and knew i had to take another month off which became nine months and everything turned around so even though i took nine months off that year and i didn't it was 2010 from january to the end of august i made more money that year than i ever have before <laughs> and i wasn't even working i love it so, so this whole thing that you have to work hard and long hours to make money, that is so not true. Yes. Yes. And I love that you bring this experience up because a lot of what I teach around enoughness is creating ease in our lives of really letting go of the beliefs that things have to be hard and that we have to change ourselves, that we're not enough as we are in order to make it. And the thing that I see in your journey that is just so beautiful is not only did you learn that beautiful lesson that you don't have to work hard for money, but there's something to be gained from being and slowing so down. Just, so you, it's not that you don't have to work hard. You don't have to work long hours. Mm -hmm. There's a difference, it's like, you know, working smart. So when I work, I work really hard and I'm very focused. Mm -hmm. When I don't work, I don't work. <laughs> no, I have achieved something that's really close to balance. So I, I think the hard work is not that because nobody works harder than an under earner. Under earners have two and three jobs. They're working nonstop. Yes. Hires have figured out how to focus. Mm hmm so, uh, I, okay, I got off on the tangent. So where were you? No, I, well, actually, let's pick up there because I think that there's something to be said about leveraging, leveraging your strengths and leveraging your gifts. So you can work in a very focused way. We, when you say leveraging, I'm not sure 
I'm not sure what that means. My word that I use is strategic. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned from successful women. They were very strategic, meaning they kept one eye on their bigger vision, their purpose, their mission, and the other eye on the bottom line. Yeah. So they were always watching their numbers. They were being very clear on cutting costs. You know, all those bottom line things, while at the same time, because what happens is we women, we're so excited about what we do. We're so mission-oriented. We're so people-pleasing. We go off on a tangent and we forget to look at the details and the bottom line of doing business. Yeah. So how have you retrained yourself or how you even had to retrain yourself to work in that way and really implement all of these lessons that you've learned from these women? I don't know if it's retraining or adapting uh-huh. the lessons that I learned. Cause I just, I just didn't know these things. Yeah. So one of the things I started doing when I wrote my six figure book way back is I hired a bookkeeper mm-hmm. and because I don't, I don't like doing those. I'm, I'm not a detailed person, but every month he gives me my P and L profit and loss statement and we go over it and I'm very clear and then we talk and he tells me where maybe I could cut or no, I don't see any place you can cut. So maybe you need to start charging more here. So I, I'm always, it's always in front of mind. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. I yes. So keeping something really, I think having a relationship with something or having a date with it <laughs> even is highly important, right? What, what, one of the things I learned from successful women is it's really critical to get out of vagueness mm-hmm. with money, with time, with everything. You don't have to do everything. It's important to delegate. But at the same time, you have to be very clear what's going on because the more vague you are about the numbers, the more disconnected you are from your money. Yeah. And you'll, you'll see what happens because mm-hmm. money is like... We need to be a container that can hold the money when it comes. We need to be connected to our money. Yes. Did you notice on your, you know, on your personal entrepreneurial journey that there was some sort of inner expansion that needed to happen in order to to make more money? Oh, heavens, yes. What I finally figured out is that financial success is a three-pronged process. Mm-hmm. It combines the outer work with the inner work with the higher work of wealth. So I started out just doing the outer work, you know, just trying to know the difference between stock and a bond and how to negotiate and how to do my job really well. And when that wasn't working, I realized, whoa, I need to do the inner work. I need to explore my attitudes, beliefs, and decisions I've made about myself and money that are holding me back. Mm. And the higher work, which has become a very important component for me uh, in the financial journey and in working with clients, is I believe we're all here for a reason. We are here for a purpose. And we cannot possibly pursue our purpose and playful out if we're struggling with debt, if we're struggling to make ends meet. And so I think that financial stability and financial success are really a core part of our spiritual work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know one of the things that I come up with a lot, like even in my own journey and that of other women, work with a lot of heart-centered women, passion-driven. And there's usually this block around spirituality and money, that money can't be spiritual. And that is, so this last book, Sacred Success, it was really, really difficult for me to write because I was terrified to come out of my spiritual closet. You know, I was really scared because for me, when I started having all my financial problems and owed that million dollars and wasn't talking to my parents and wasn't my husband in left town and I was raising three girls alone, I was a mess. Mm. And that's when I started developing my spirituality, like really becoming committed to it. And for me, the financial healing was both a practical process and a spiritual practice. Yeah. But I'd never really talked about that openly. And so when I wrote Sacred Success, I talked about how I had melted the practical, spiritual, and relation of money and how it makes such a difference. And I, I even coined a word for it, metaphysical. Yes. Metaphysical means the melding of the spiritual with the practical in regards to money. And I really do believe when you invite the divine into your conversation with the almighty dollar, Financial success becomes a transformational journey, a rite of passage into our power. Mm. Mm, I love that. I mean, I think you, you did such an exquisite job of blending all of this in the book, and I really want everyone to read it because it is really quite powerful. One of the things that I would love to get your extra, <laughs> extra thoughts on, in the first chapter you really talk about the way women shy away from power. And I, yeah. And how that relates to earning, because we usually equate power and money together. Here's what I saw. And I realized, I realized when I wrote my first book that women's problems with money have very little to do with money. Mm -hmm. And everything to do with their fear of or ambivalence about power, mm -hmm. because we don't understand power from a feminine perspective. Yeah. I remember when I was writing Prince Charming Isn't Coming, I interviewed a psychologist who specializes in money. And I said to her, why do you think women are so afraid of their power? And she said to me, because powerful women have been burned at the stake. And I really, and that just gave me chills. It always does. Yeah. I really believe it is part of our collective unconscious that if we are powerful, we will be punished. Mm. Because it's not the money that gives us power. In my marriage, I had the money. It was my inheritance. But he had the power because I gave it to him because I was too scared to make decisions, too scared to speak up. Right. Me, a powerful woman, my definition of a powerful woman is someone who knows who she is, who knows what she wants, and expresses that in the world unapologetically. But essentially, our fear of power is our fear of being fully ourselves, speaking up, asking for what we want, saying no to what we don't, instead of watering ourselves down so we don't make waves. Mm. Yes, I see that so often, so often. And I think, you know, there's this, this pattern of like really shying away from expressing our full selves in the world. We're afraid that if we do that, maybe we won't be loved, maybe we won't be accepted, maybe we'll be too much. For someone so I definitely see the whole watering down and shying away from really bringing our true selves but I, I 
can almost hear it on the tip of your tongue, but that is such a crucial element for serving your purpose in the world of embracing everything that you are as a woman. And the interesting thing is when I was watering myself down, the men I was attracting and even the women friends left a lot to be desired. Mm. Once I started doing the work and really stepping in and owning my power, I started attracting a whole new kind of people. I, I, have, a, I have attracted the best husband in the whole world. So respecting. I have the best friends in the whole world. And I think when you start raising your vibration, which owning your power does, you start attracting people who are vibrating at that rate also. Yes. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I'd be curious to know how boundaries showed up for this in you, because I feel, um, just hearing a little bit from your story, I know that there were some internal boundaries that were set of saying, I'm no longer going to be living from this mindset. I'm stepping into something new. So how would you relate boundaries with not only yourself, but with others of really stepping into your power as a woman? So boundaries are really important. You cannot have power without boundaries. And a boundary is simply a hell yes or a hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah. And being able to set those clear boundaries with people, say this is what I'm willing to and this is what I'm not willing to do. That is being powerful because a powerful person is someone who knows who she is, who knows who she wants and expresses that in the world. Yeah. And, and you know you, you know how you know when you're giving your power away? Mm. Wherever you're unhappy. Wherever you're unhappy, you look, and that you will see how you are giving your power away. That's such a good red flag to explore that more <laughs> of what boundaries do I need to be setting in order to increase my joy. In, yes, in order to increase your joy, in order to live the life that you're meant to live. And what happens is we women tend to be very codependent. Mm. We put everybody else's needs, and not just our families, but co-workers, perfect strangers. We put everybody else's needs before our own. And that codependency, it sounds noble, but oh my God, that leads to pain, to resentment, to anxiety, to, to often illness. So it's... Codependency is a terror, is an epidemic among women. And the thing that's so hard for women is that we have to put ourselves first. Just like they tell you the message of the oxygen mask. If you don't put yourself first, you'll have no, you won't be able to have not, you won't have it to take care of others. Yes. You know, and every time we go to put ourselves first, what happens? We feel Guilty. Yes. Very uncomfortable. And the number one requirement for going to the next level in your life, the number one requirement in upping your earnings, the number one requirement for success in anything, whether it's making more money or losing weight, is the willingness to be uncomfortable. The willingness to do what you're scared to do. Yes. You know, it's so funny. When I was doing my research, I ask higher earners, when, I ask under earners, when's the last time you did something you're afraid to do? And they scratch their head and they think, hmm. I ask higher earners that and they go, oh my God. 
this morning all the time yeah this morning it's like i had what i call the high earner slogan if it's not illegal or immoral i just say yes <laughs> i love it i don't know if you follow brene brown's work but she has this quote in rising strong she says those who are willing to be the most uncomfortable rise the fastest and rise the strongest it's true it's yeah. true but it takes, it's really vulnerable to go into the uncomfortable, right? And trusting yourself that you can, you can hold yourself in that container of that, of being in discomfort and you're not going to fall apart. You, you'll be okay. Trusting yourself that you have, you have the guts <laughs> to so stay in the waters. The way you build the self-trust, the way you build the confidence in yourself is simply by doing things you can't do. Yes. And I learned, you know when I learned this? When I was interviewing women who made six and seven figures. And I'd, um, I, I expected them to be confident. And they were. I mean, they were so confident. But as we got deeper into the interviews, every one of them struggled with fear. Every one of them struggled with doubt. 95% like, felt like a fraud and were scared others would find out. Yeah. They were just like me. But the difference was, they didn't let it stop them. And I remember saying to one woman, oh my God, you're so confident. And she said, I wasn't born with this gene. It was by taking a class in statistics, which I knew I couldn't do, and eventually passing, they started giving me confidence. So it is by doing what you think you can't do. Yes. And even if you fall down, even if you fail, quote, fail, you get back up and you keep going. Yeah. And that's how you build confidence. Yeah. No, I love it. I have this phrase I use is courage doesn't require confidence. Yeah, what? <laughs> courage doesn't require confidence. That's so true. <laughs> it's a, and I have a saying, confidence is a memory of success. Oh, I love that. I love that. Now, I want to talk about this nine-month gestation period for you because I went uh, and did four months of this myself and wow. being a high achiever and somebody that goes and goes and does and does, it was extremely uncomfortable for me to be in this surrendering phase and this trusting that everything's going to work out without me micromanaging everything. Did you have a similar experience? Oh my God. I, I wrote a blog uh, on my experience and, and the first line was surrender is not for sissies. <laughs> so true though. So true. I felt like I had this big L on my forehead for yeah. loser and i was sure i was going down the loser tube but i just took everything off my plate yeah and what i realized the surrender it's how important it is there's, there's, for me there's two things that had to happen in this period of surrender is to really reflect on why am i here what is mine to do what is my purpose here and the second was to meet my demons to face my fears all those things that are holding me back and I know the thing that my biggest fear was that I'm not important and one day I'll just disappear. And I've had that ever since I was a little girl and I know where that came from. But it's what pushed me to write books. It's what pushed me to get up on stage and speak. And I was never, it would never be enough. It would never be enough. I would always need more to feel important. Yeah. And so what happened is during this nine months, I got off Facebook, I got off blogging, I stopped speaking, I stopped coaching. I disappeared. I really disappeared from all, social media, from everything. And the damnedest thing happened. I was still important. I was still important to my husband. I was still important to my children. I was still important to the friends I was talking to. 
And I say in one of my books, when you learn to face that which you fear, it need never control you again. Mm. So I got to write this last book, Sacred Success, from a very, very different place. Not of needing to feel important, but of needing to serve. Because God, God loved me to write this. And I was being a pencil in God's hand. The thing that comes up for me so strongly, and I can just speak from, from, from my experience doing this, I learned that I put so much of my value in what I was able to do instead of who I simply was. And when I found value in that of who I am, it really purified my purpose and finally allowed me to serve from a place that I had always wanted to access, but could never get to because I was always so concerned, but what about me? So how did you access that? Was that on that four-month retreat or how did you access that? I did a lot of inner child work. And so when you're talking about that little girl that never felt important, that was a part of myself that I had to access, of get in touch with her, of like, why did she feel the need to go and, and do and, and be and all of these things in order to feel worthy when she was already worthy? And when I allowed her to be worthy just as she was, it, it freed something in me. And it, it never changed my drive. That was what I was so afraid of as a high achiever. I'm like, but what if this kills my drive and my motivation if I'm enough? Because I've been working from that sense of lack for so long. What would drive me then? What I learned is that that's not how the soul works. The soul always wants to continue to expand and make a difference and make an impact. That's what it's here to do. And so I never, or none of us really have to be afraid of, of losing that drive or motivation by becoming whole or becoming enough just as we are, just becomes a much stronger foundation for us to serve more selflessly and, and really serve our purpose more boldly. Right, right. I remember what, because I was afraid, I, I realized I could never let myself feel important because I, I wouldn't write any more books. I wouldn't, I wouldn't work. I'd sit there eating bonbons. But what I realized was in finding my purpose. And my purpose, I always thought, was to empower women financially. Yeah. That is not my purpose. That's what I do. But yeah. my purpose is to be a spiritual teacher and bring women closer to themselves by bringing them closer to their higher power. Yes. And so suddenly, being important wasn't nearly as motivating as being a pencil in God's hand. Yeah. Being the vessel. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love that. And I love you what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do, but I love the way that this conversation has gone because I, I think for so many of us, we struggle finding our purpose. Our purpose is, is such a simple thing for most of us. It's the, how is this going to manifest in the world that we get, how that we get caught up in the how instead of just simple. Yeah. No, no, but finding your purpose it's simple and it's there, but sometimes it's very hard to access. I agree. And that's the work. That's what. I, that's why I, one of the things I created in Sacred Success, because Sacred Success is. Pro, I mean, you need. You want to have a profit. Yes, definitely. It's a desired outcome. But the primary goal of Sacred Success is not profit. The primary goal is greatness. Yes. Greatness and greatness. Greatness. I. If I'm paraphrasing a quote by Fred Buchner, greatness is that place where your deep gladness, doing what you were put on this earth to do, 
meets the world in punk. Yeah. And so, so an important component is getting still enough to hear your soul's voice, who is the keeper of your purpose, and really marinating in that. Yes. My because thing. I think we, we women, I, I call it ATBS, we addicted to busyness syndrome. We are, <laughs> busyness is our drug of choice. Yes. You know, it's our drug of choice. And, mm. and, it, and, and this is what is holding us back. I agree. And it is extremely, <laughs> I, you know, when I was practicing therapy, I worked in addiction. And so I, I know the, the signs of, of coming off of drugs and coming off of busyness is very much like just so much anxiety and like we don't know what to do with ourselves. We feel really uncomfortable, but exactly what you said. I mean, finding that stillness within you is so critical and hearing the voice of your soul, that, that spiritual process, but also giving value to your joy. And that's what I hear when you talk about greatness is that your bliss is so incredibly powerful and valuable, not only to yourself, but to the world. Exactly. Exactly. It's a gift you were given. You, you, you know what your gifts are? The things you enjoy doing most. Yes. It's the height of arrogance, according to the Course, the height of arrogance to ignore your gifts. Yes. Absolutely. So if you were to share some tips for women who, who kind of want to take this journey of sacred success, of awakening to their greatness, and, and learning to serve the world and make a profit, what are just a few of the steps that you might recommend? Well, sacred success is a four-stage process. Mm -hmm. And it starts by listening, by knowing when you're in the first stage. And the first stage is the call to greatness. It's what I felt when I was trying to write this book on women who make millions, and I got totally out. And what I thought was burnout, turned out to be a sign that I was being called to play a bigger game. Yes. And I think the signs that many, many, many millions of women are being called, and the signs can be anything from frustration to burnout to yearning to unhappiness, what they all the signs have in common is they're uncomfortable because they have a, the purpose is to get our attention. Of course, the discomfort is aroused only to bring the need to, for correction into a way. Yes. And so it's important that we pay attention to those signs instead of trying to push them, the, the discomfort, instead of trying to push through and, 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 and ignore, to really sit back, to really take some time in receptive surrender to see what your soul is wanting to tell you. Mm -hmm. I love that. When you're telling your story and you're sharing this with, I'm sure, hundreds, thousands of women, and you share that you took this time away, are you met with fear or resistance from them of saying, I don't, I don't want to do that. I can't take that time away. Or does it have to look that way? Oh, my God. Totally. <laughs> in fact, there was an a, a experiment. It was reported in the Wall Street Journal where they put people in a room where there was nothing but a table mm -hmm. and a chair. And there was a buzzer on there that would give the electric shock. 
and they put people in there for an extended period of time. It was so uncomfortable for people to do nothing that 70% of them gave themselves shocks, electric shocks, because they'd rather be in pain than do nothing. Mm. It, is, it is so scary because when we do nothing, all the stuff we've been trying to avoid yes. starts up. Yes. And until, until you, it's, you know, it's part of the addiction process, until you feel the feelings you've been masking and see what's on the other side. Because always on the other side is your fear, is your power. Yeah. And uh, until you can do that, you can never, ever live your fullest life. Ever. Mm. Those are such wise and powerful words because <laughs> that was exactly my experience too. I was so afraid of slowing down because then I would have to feel. And here was, here's the crazy part about all this is that, you know, as a psychotherapist, I talked about feelings a lot. I thought about my feelings a lot, but actually feeling them, I learned that I did not have a, a very strong skill set in that. And so those four months, I really learned a lot about feeling feelings. And experiencing them. <laughs> what, what did you learn? That I have a tendency to try and swallow things down when they're starting to come up. Like I have a physical reaction of actually swallowing. When an emotion comes up, I tend to deflect to a different topic so I don't have to experience it. <laughs> when an emotion comes up, I tend to think that I'm less than or weak because I'm having this emotional experience. So there's this self-judgment piece. So what happened when you let yourself feel the emotion? I learned that I was okay, that I could do it. That it wouldn't kill you. It wouldn't kill me. And what that gave me was a lot more confidence and, and freedom to be human. Yes, yes. And, and that is a very powerful gift to give yourself. Oh, honey, that is so good. That mm. is so good. Yeah, but it took go, doing the scary, vulnerable stuff of going into that discomfort of slowing down and not knowing what was going to happen when I did that. And I know that that's, you know, for a lot of women, that uncertainty, or even for humans in general, uncertainty, our brain doesn't like that. It likes to know the plan. <laughs> so I think overcoming that is an act of courage. And the gifts that it gives you are just incomparable. I can't put a price tag on that. And here's the thing. It's so scary for people to do that it often takes a crisis. And an awful stop happening. Yeah. And that's what I noticed with the women I was interviewing, the women who were so successful. Right before they soared, they sink into this kind of limbo. And often it was precipitated by a really nasty crisis, like breast cancer and bankruptcy and an alcoholic breakdown. Now we all have those crises, but what made these women different is they didn't ignore it, they didn't try to rush through it, they actually took time out to, as what one woman told me, to reflect, to regroup, and to come back stronger. Mm. And when I, when I realized that, when I remembered those instances, I knew, I knew, I did not want to take a month off, turned into nine months, but I knew I had to because I did not want to get it to be a worse crisis. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was definitely like a spiritual crisis. 
of knowing that for my whole life, I was chasing after this concept of enoughness through success or happiness or however I was defining that, realizing that if I didn't redefine enoughness, I was never going to have it because there's always going to be that, that next level that we're always striving for. And that's not a bad thing. But if we're waiting on reaching that next level, then the next level, the next level to be happy. We'll never get there. No, not, not at all. And that was a really harsh realization for me of saying, I have some work to do and I have no idea how this is all going to turn out, but I know it's needed. You know, I, I said in one of my books, I think it was sacred success. In our deepest pain lies our highest purpose. Mm. And just like this pain you had of not feeling enough by working through that, that became a purpose for you. Look how you're helping other people. Yeah. With the same issue because you were willing to have the courage to go through it yourself. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. No, I'm, I haven't done a whole lot of reflection on that, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Barbara, thank you so much for being a phenomenal guest and sharing your wisdom to with all of my listeners. Just thank you so much for sharing this space with me. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. You're really fun to talk to. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to uh, invite anybody who's listening. The first Monday of every month, I have a free call called the Monthly Money Monday. Oh. We have hundreds of women. We get on and we talk about money. We don't just talk about money. We go deep. Oh. And so it's turned into this beautiful community of women. And we have a Facebook group of over a thousand women where we're just sharing and talking and discussing money. I love that. Now, is it, is it the first Monday or? It's on the first Monday of every month. Okay. And you can go to my website, Barbara Stanny, S-T-A-N-N-Y.com. And you'll sign up for it and then we'll let you know about it. All right. Well, you will see me there. That is for sure. And to all of our listeners, thank you for sharing this space with Barbara and I. We will see you again soon. Thank you so much for joining us on the Enoughness Revolution. If today's episode rocked your world or added value to your life, I'd love for you to let us know by leaving a quick review on iTunes. The Enoughness Revolution is a global conversation for owning who we are as women and owning who we are as leaders. If you're ready to break free from the destructive stories of not enough and step boldly into your own leadership, Visit me at megan-hale.com for one-on-one coaching, group programs, and courses, all designed to empower you to lead. Until next time, you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're capable of achieving everything you desire. Claim your enoughness, sister, and unleash the fierce feminine leader within.